Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the fourth episode of our podcast, Groundbreakers. On this podcast, we interview early stage founders and real estate investors to hear their stories of what led them to have success in their career and their journey from zero to one. I'm joined today by George Bonanno, CEO of EmpireDAO. EmpireDAO is a membership-based co-working model with a unique incentive system where members are rewarded for the time they spend in our spaces. Thanks so much for joining us, George. We're very excited to have you on the show. Thanks for so having me. To kick things off, would love to hear your story. You know, what were you doing before Empire Dow? What's your career journey been like? What did you even study back in school? Like, just share with us your story. Yeah, that's a whole range of topics. Um, but yeah, what I studied at school, I studied um, political science. And that was super interesting because I got uh, intimate knowledge of kind of how the different uh, political structures were across the globe. Learned about the U.S. and instantly became uh, uh, scared, if you will, uh, of kind of uh, what was unfolding and whatnot. So that was, I'd like to say, early insights of to what we're seeing today uh, play out, where politics is now common uh, dinner talk, um, blessing and a curse. But that's for maybe later on in the show. Uh, so where to begin? So I grew up in what I like to call capital markets, um, kind of a securities, broker dealer, um, registered investment advisory space. So as a company I interned for called Pershing, which was a subsidiary of Bank of New York Mellon. And I had gotten an internship uh, to work on a trade desk, uh, literally picking up uh, green and red pieces of paper which green meant buy and red uh, meant sell. And the floor uh, literally uh, had tons of them there for orders throughout the trading day. Wow, that's pretty old school. Um, you're taking me way back now. And I guess like, you know, where do you go from there? Um, so intern at, at a subsidiary to BNY Mellon, I know you ended up there later. Like, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, luckily, uh, not much has changed since the paper, to be frank, uh, in traditional finance. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, definitely trying. Um, so that internship, uh, learned, I learned a lot about, uh, relationship building, really, uh, knowing that, uh, everyone kept telling me that it was a good opportunity to diversify your handshakes, all the cliche, uh, buzzwords, uh, you get when you're doing internships and whatnot. Um, but I was super curious about investing in general, uh, stocks and bonds, uh, particularly because I knew nothing of it. And growing up, uh, it wasn't present in at the household, right? Mom didn't talk about it. Uh, grandma, nobody really talked about it. Abuelita, uh, Mama Aldia, as they say. Um, but uh, that particularly for me was why I had leaned in and really started to pay attention and, and, and start to really try to understand what was going on with these pieces of papers buy and sell tickets. So, um, hmm. so that had led to basically more internships, I'll say, right? So I had started very early, um, had joined, had, had, had joined the happy hours, the softball games, and continuing to just uh, tell my story, how curious I was about what was going on, um, led to more opportunities. Um, again, building that trust. Uh, so let's say trade desk to begin with, uh, moved around to uh, pricing, uh, understand how to price securities was one summer, um, did another for what's called securities lending. So this is where 
you have, uh, let's just say, a bunch of Google stock and a hedge fund wants to short it because they think it's overvalued. They had this department or this trade desk called Securities Lending, where if you owned all of it, you were able to uh, lend it to me uh, as a hedge fund. I can short it and you can earn interest rates. And if, and if it moved down, great, uh, made some money. But you, as the holder, earned uh, passive income. So that's super interesting. Um, so then came kind of the crossroads of what I wanted to do in my career and literally had put up all this kind of time, energy, and curiosity into um, Wall Street, if you will, securities, uh, that I had accepted a position in, in Florida. Uh, so this was, um, I'd say, 2007, uh, to date me, where I accepted a position in Florida um, to start a new uh, branch location. So a south, if you will, southern kind of resiliency. If New York had any issues, this office that had no, um, literally from zero to, to building, uh, had um, given me an opportunity to kind of uh, head down there. So that's where I started my actual working professional career. Wow. So I feel like a lot of securities related background, you've been dealing with like the financial regulated space for a long time. And I completely hear you on uh, having to teach your abuelita and your parents around like stocks. Um, I don't think my parents have any or very little money invested in the market. They're much bigger real estate investors, but a big piece of it, and I think this is very common with immigrant families, like they don't trust the markets, especially after like 2007 and seeing how much it fell. Um, so there's something quite interesting with something tangible like real estate or like physical based investments. Um, okay, so you mentioned you're in Florida, you're opening up the branch of BNY Mellon. Um, like what got you interested in so much securities uh, regulation and like dealing with that at the bank? And then like, where did you go from there? Yeah, no. So what had gotten me interested, so the other opportunity I was uh, really leaning into, I was super curious, um, was I wanted to be a sports agent and just uh, had loved sports, uh, played all of them growing up. And um, I had realized kind of um, law school was in the, the, the future uh, kind of criteria needed to be a sports agent. And my mother had uh, around that time had gone to uh, Hofstra Law School. So I got a glimpse of what that was like. And I immediately um, decided and learned that that wasn't for me. I wasn't interested in kind of that track. So I quickly said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in kind of this financial services track, uh, capital markets, and I'm just going to kind of give it my all. And, um, so, so from there, um, really just started to just work, right? So as they needed, they needed to kind of help grow the Latam business. And there weren't very many uh, kind of Latinos, if you will, uh, at the time, especially there as they were building out a brand new footprint. Uh, so naturally, I had uh, been right time, right place to kind of raise my hand to say, hey, I can help lead your, um, your growth strategy for the LATAM market. Uh, so that led to a good opportunity to, to A, understand um, a different market uh, in kind of the investment arena. And uh, also allowed me the free reign of um, building out something from scratch. And I think we touched on this uh, when we met in Amsterdam was it became clear how to help. 
So as we mentioned, um, one of the key milestones in my career was helping to uh, deliver a Spanish form, something as simple as we were serving an entire market, um, but we're uh, introducing kind of English documents, for example, to service high wealth, uh, high net worth uh, individuals in LATAM. Uh, so little things like that started to make incremental progress to growing the business, um, more assets under um, kind of Pershing's purview. Um, but back to the point you raised earlier. So as I was learning these things, getting my licenses, Security 7, um, things of like that, 63, I lose count. It's, it's just all numbers. Um, I had re realized that at home, on the home front, not many people really knew what was going on in a day-to-day -day basis in the stock market or anything like that. So from there, like immediately, I had this drive to share. Uh, what was happening, the opportunities of investing, and really pick up the patterns that all these ultra high net worth individuals were were doing, and then trying to share that. Um, so that led to me uh, publishing a book um, called Technical Sense. And it was my first attempt to say, hey, I, I need to share all this stuff that's happening. And I knew that the uh, audience I was uh, trying to serve was Abuelita, right? Someone who really didn't know uh, much. So it was a mac and cheese, if you will, picture book of um, kind of what is the stock market and how you should approach it. Um, so I have patterns throughout my career of trying to help increase financial literacy, try to help bring others along. Um, but what it really is, is it's just had this innate desire to, to, to democratize access, have others have access to what I was seeing and helping others build uh, for a smaller subset of the world, if that makes sense. No, that, that's a pretty noble thing to do. Um, financial literacy is not something that's taught at schools. Even if you go to great schools and you're still not learning how to do it, you'll learn about the markets, you'll learn about economics, but they won't teach you how to do your own personal budgeting and like not end up in debt. Um, so I think that's awesome that you release a book. Any big highlights that you learned um, that you're willing to share from like either high net worth individuals or maybe some of the key takeaways from your book for anyone listening? Yeah. So basically it was the concept of a fundamental analysis, um, which ironically is one of the highlights of the Breakpoint Solana conference was the greed experiment by Vashi, where he talked about how folks were just kind of throwing money at any project at the, you know, the, the you know, number go up. And he, his message there was you need to perform due diligence. You really need to understand what's going on so that you can um, have better kind of behaviors in the market and make more uh, better choices, if you will. And the starting point of my book was to do just that. How do you uh, start your investing journey. Um, and just a basic principle was, you know, invest in things you love, invest in things you think uh, can grow. Um, so really starting a primer, if you will, of how to approach it, right? What do you find yourself spending much of your money on? Um, do you have a line vision? And then it trans uh, transition to technical analysis. And this was super hard to try to break down, but I think uh, um, a good stepping stone of understanding what it is and what are all these lines on these charts what do they represent um was kind of the where i took it um but i quickly learned that life is so complex 
there really is a lot going on and it really is up to the financial services industry to provide good advice, right? Good direction. And that's the opportunity. It's not for abuelita or anyone to really be able to have time to break down uh, the technical uh, analysis or forecast of a stock. Like that's just uh, unreasonable to expect of an investing community. So that was a, something I learned while going through that process that there really uh, isn't a market for all this because like who really has time uh, and it shouldn't be that hard to save money and watch it grow. No, that's awesome. And I think the tactical analysis piece, like I think the main takeaway of people not having time is definitely a good one. And I think ironically, like a lot of people want a budget and not many people ever check their finances that often because either like you don't make that much money and don't want to check like how much you're spending. I know I'm definitely in that category being a founder and I just like don't check my balance or like my bank account, but like I am consciously aware of how much I'm spending. Uh, but no, that's awesome. Um, and, and love some of the takeaways that you shared. Um, to switch, to switch gears again, going back to like your career. So, you know, I know prior to starting Empire Dow, you worked in multiple banks, um, have a lot of background in securities regulation and, and have a lot of the licenses. Um, and a piece of that too, was you were doing a lot of digital assets work for these banks that you worked at. Like what got you interested in digital assets to begin with? And how was that like working at a bank? Cause I know a lot of people in the crypto space, yeah. you know, at first didn't really like these traditional financial institutions, like getting involved in the crypto space. But I think we both know that's where the world's going for these assets to truly be adopted worldwide. Um, so can you just share a bit of how that was like for you working at a bank? Yeah, no, there's a lot there. I think what was interesting, because there's um, kind of a bridge there, if you will. So part of what I was touching on, kind of what I was learning about the plumbing, uh, really taking the time to, to understand uh, how it all worked. And there's a, a book called After the Trade is Made, and it, it's it's instantly outdated because of uh, emerging technologies. So it's super interesting. But that that trade, that book um, really helped me understand that I could, we couldn't really achieve what I was trying to do and help democratize access to financial services um, because it was really difficult to scale the economics of onboarding customers paper intensive processes for a wealth manager to be able to scale their operation to uh, two, three, four thousand at a cost that was um, scalable, quite frankly, right? Unit economics there. I, I quickly learned that working on kind of digital advice or model portfolios where you say predefined investment strategies, you take the wire, you dump in and automatically allocates the money into kind of these buckets. And I thought it was going to really help bring more people into these markets. And in my opinion, uh, it didn't take off because uh, the advisor community just didn't know how to price their service at these high scale rates. So I saw kind of the first attempt at really trying to scale out financial services uh, through digital advice. And so that's where I said, okay, we've hit a wall in terms of what I was internally driven. And I had 
um, took a bet on myself and hung up all my licenses and left the securities world and took an opportunity at the mothership, the parent company, Bank of New York Mellon, in their technology strategy team. And that was just more kind of passion and desire to really understand how this engine was built technology-wise, its stack, in an attempt to say, how can we re re you know, re redo this um, to achieve those goals I had stumbled upon? And lucky, good timing, I'd say. Luck is a little bit in all of our journeys. The, one of the first projects that we were working on was to rebuild a data center uh, from scratch, zero to data center. And the orchestration of all that was one of the most humbling kind of projects or efforts I've ever been a part of. So many smart, intelligent people, um, really team environment to pull off such a large orchestration uh, for a globally systemic, important financial institution. Um, and I got lucky because I got the data security stack right? In a product capacity, how do we turn this into a product to, to, to help um, build new infrastructure? And what was that? Uh, that was the uh, hardware security modules, the cryptographers, all these PhD uh, geniuses uh, to really build uh, what was at that time critical infrastructure to continue to grow the business, which was a public key infrastructure, right? So that was one of the first core deliverables there. And I was just a sponge um, offering to help create this into a product that could be um, consumed by the business and our customers, but really taking notes and learning uh, from everyone around me how cryptography worked, right? How did keys, uh, how do you rotate them? How do you store them? How do you do all these things at an enterprise grade level? And that was where I had my aha moment um, having learned about Bitcoin and having learned about securities, uh, clearing and settlement and how you trade stocks and bonds. Um, that was for me that moment where I said, oh my gosh, this can really, there's something here. It, this can really help address the scale problems, right? Uh, remove friction, uh, improve the experience, um, enable more people to participate. So for me, I felt like I had discovered something and no one around me really understood. So I had this like moment of like, holy shoot, how do I play this, right? How do I continue to, to parlay this and build around it and, and help others see what I had just saw? And um, that's where a co-founder, Mike Frieda, he was also working at BYM Mellon at that time, kind of really evangelizing Bitcoin at scale. So our powers combined, if you will, in, in a whole collection of other visionaries who were trying to build this out, that's what the uh, Bitcoin custody program ended up becoming um, at BNY because we had this fresh kit. Um, there was a team building out the business case. Here's the opportunity. And just having that experience, um, pulling all that together, um, really sparked the digital asset journey in my career and a hard pivot uh, into leaning into that. Uh, so that is where kind of the digital asset aspect started. That's awesome. And I, I like the takeaway around like redoing the whole ledger system at BNY Mellon as like your catalyst in, um, I think like the core ethos of blockchain technology is repurposing like how we store data and putting it in a way that's like a ledger that everyone has access to and whether it's a 
private or public blockchain, but like a way, like if you have secure people all accessing it, there is ways you can scale and reduce costs. Um, so I think that is a great foray into the blockchain space. Yeah. Um, as like the main catalyst for it. None of those uh, were shaky, by the way, because all of the data engineers, if you were of like, wow, we have all these databases, right? We control, we provision them on the man. And it was, that wasn't the pattern in which to affect change. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Those was one of the lessons learned there. Um, speaking to a highly skilled kind of technical audience, the, there was so much going on, just like in Abuelita and life and really trying to get people to understand. Uh, same thing applies to kind of uh, organizational change for large enterprises, particularly for banks and whatnot, is that you really need to bring it with precision, uh, with justification as to why this new schema, this new architecture is significantly better than the current uh, way uh, because the ramifications of getting it wrong, wasting time, wasting money, and distracting from the immediate needs at hand uh, really is a force. Uh, so that so that was part of the challenge to be kind of this voice of change. Um, so fast forward, like the Bitcoin program um, uh, was starting to take shape. And um, it was actually the the Libra project. If you will, the, the Facebook coin, uh, Zuckbucks uh, was originally called. Uh, that was uh, the first real stage where um, I had used the internal kind of blogging platform, if you will. And I started to say, hey, having this newfound knowledge of blockchain and its implication, I said, hey, look, this is happening there's some serious ramifications here. We should understand this and figure out how we can um, augment ourselves, how we can be prepared for it, but really like to start the conversation at scale globally across the organization. That was the, the, the launch pad, if you will, where got pulled in to like so many very interesting discussions on what do we do? How do we do it? What is actually taking place here? Uh, is this a viable business model? What are the kind of, um, scenario um considerations how, you know how, strategy 101 right and that led to um an opportunity within the treasury services world and uh as their digital asset lead um and i got some good exposure there working on uh central bank digital currencies understanding kind of the difference between wholesale and retail, which are very different things, um, but you don't hear too much distinction between the two in the media. Um, really understood why um, these can be bad and the ramifications for them. Tokenized cash, which was needed to, uh, for example, trade with Bitcoin, right? You couldn't trade a paper dollar with Bitcoin, so we needed to actually have a trading pair. Um, tokenized sterling pound, uh, things like that uh, came out of this. Uh, but more importantly for me, uh, having a securities background, I learned a payments ecosystem, uh, real-time payments, where it's pretty commonplace uh, in other countries uh, across the globe and not so much in the U.S. Um, so I got to see that uh, get stood up, RTP network, uh, which is very um, interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, that that just kept snowballing uh, into more and more projects to really figure out how to move cash, um, far, cheap, and fast. So it seems like Libra, I think, was the main catalyst that kicked everything off internally at BNY. 
formally uh, it, for me in my career and yeah. uh, where an actual role was created as a digital asset lead in the treasury services. Got to partner with the Bitcoin custody team specifically, understand how to do risk management here, right? How do we move? How do we um, ensure that illicit activity isn't running through these pipes um, on these new networks? It was super interesting experience that covered uh, a number of functions, right? Strategy, product development, risk management, um, and also that whole enterprise change. How do you move people who have no idea what you're talking about? Um, but are open to to listening, which is part of the formula there. I think that's a really good takeaway for people that work at large companies and try to evangelize some sort of new technology. Um, I know at Google, like I used to push certain aspects forward. I used to do a lot of competitive strategy at Google. And I, prior to Apple releasing all their iOS changes, I basically flagged that like, hey, Apple's likely going to get into the ad space. Here's why. And like X, Y, and Z reason. Nice. Basically, management didn't really care. Um, but then they release iOS changes. And all of a sudden, they're like, why did no one tell us they're doing this? Like, let's all like start doubling down. And so it's just funny how it, it takes like a big catalyst from an external market position before you can move a large company like BNY or Google. But to the point of you have to be very precise with the goal and the ask. Like it does take a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of people you need to bring on board that share a similar vision to actually move things forward. So I no, yeah. really appreciate that perspective. And I guess like, I know now you're working in Empire Dow and taking a lot of your learnings and you're working on that with Mike. I guess my last question is to kind of bridge, you know, where you were at at BNY and now where you're at at Empire Dow. Like what was the catalyst, I think, that made you leave a very stable job like BNY. You know, you were in a lead position, really building out the blockchain side for them. And that's been continuously gaining momentum. Like what gave you enough confidence to be like, you know what, I'm gonna start doing my own venture and do it now. Cause I think a lot of potential founders are always scared to finally take the plunge. Yeah, so there's, there's always that decision-making process, right? And I'm happy to step through it. So um, that work at BNY uh, led to an opportunity um, at Wells Fargo as their uh, crypto asset kind of strategy and product development lead, um, and really the one of the first uh, few to work on kind of open networks, public network, if you will, crypto proper. And uh, that process for me, um, there we I was spending a ton of time with. Um, other countries, uh, so Ireland, uh, Singapore, Monetary Authority of Singapore, we, we were really um, uh, spending time internationally and understanding kind of how these um, players were um, preparing themselves for these new technologies. And I was looking around and really like, where's the US in this mix? And um, Wells Fargo presented an opportunity to actually focus on the, the US and help uh, articulate a, a strategy and core capability needed in order to um, identify the right use cases and, and kind of a right place to um, to better serve customers. And so for that, I took that opportunity uh, to do just that. And that was quite an experience. Um, it was rolling out a similar playbook um, earlier on in their journey, if you will. And uh, it was in that process of really helping to identify policies and procedures that needed to be considered uh, to change in order to enable some, some movement in this space, 
uh, helping um, improve their risk framework uh, to be able to do their day-to-day activities on these new networks and then capabilities, right? Back to that key management, like uh, what are, uh, what were they capable of and where were the gaps there? Uh, and then what do we do next, right? What, there were four businesses, um, investment bank, corporate bank, wealth, and commercial. Um, that was another uh, endeavor there. So while that was happening, um, Mike had launched the, uh, what's called like the MVP now at uh, 190 Bowery in Soho. And it's this huge place, 34,000 square feet in an iconic building above the uh, Supreme um, store, which is like a magnet. So it was quite daunting to hear that he was taking on this challenge. Um, and I would go and show up and just be enamored of like, wow, the, the community that was here, the ecosystem that was uh, built. Um, was really hard to replicate. And Mike will tell you in jest, I would, I would give him so much crap because I was getting anxiety. It was like, where's your products? How are you scaling? And he was just like, really just pulling it off and executing and really making sure that the day-to-day was flowing and people were, were happy and more um, leaders in the, in, the, in the Web3 space were showing up, wanted tours, and then media wanted to um to 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 take a segment and 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 document it and then these major events wanted to host if you will and needed space and it was just a a a cluster of energy and and growth really an exponential growth uh to an overwhelming degree um and then go back to my my day-to-day and help kind of onboard the u.s to crypto and mike and i would continue to whiteboard like how can you scale this how do you grow this um to a repeatable process and uh me building product uh on chain if you will or attempting to at a global scale there was one stop that really was uh impactful in my journey at wells fargo and that was understanding their commercial mortgage-backed securities markets and really, that's where I had leaned in, similar to earlier in my career. I was like, let me take a, a, a time to really understand this. And for me, it became apparent just how bad or the problems that the commercial market, commercial real estate market had, right? Whether that's the um, the delinquency rate, the vacancy rate, right? The uh, inability to really have price discovery for the bonds, and uh, the inefficiencies there, how bad the data um, uh, traversed across the marketplace. So learning all these and hearing how empty all these buildings are, happy hour, uh, 34,000 square feet, humming along full. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. It's like, Mike, uh, we have something here, right? Like, let's, let's, let's apply product here, right? Use the technology, um, use the chain to our advantages to help scale. Um, so literally... Uh, understanding that there, there, I had a good opportunity at Wells Fargo. However, the opportunity to really uh, create some new differentiated product in the largest asset class, one of them, if not the most, of commercial real estate, uh, for me was enough to say, okay, this is worth stepping into. Uh, all my T charge pros and cons, number of sessions with my wife. Um, I didn't want to be 55, 60 saying, shit, I should have took a left turn there. And, and gave that a shot. So that was one of the drivers of wanting to take on the risk that had asymmetric 
upside, if you will, uh, to the downside uh, was that process there in a microcosm. That's an awesome story. <laughs> and I feel like the piece you highlighted around high, um, like the units was were very filled. Like mm. that's very, very atypical given mm -hmm. what's happening right now with like COVID, commercial real estate. And Empire Dow came into existence post-COVID, which I think is crazy given like the occupancy rates of the building. Um, yeah. How would you describe it? Like for someone who's not familiar with Empire Dow, like could they think of it as something similar to WeWork? Um, like how would you describe Empire Dow for someone who knows nothing about it? Yeah, I would, I would liken it to uh, Soho House and uh, Bell Labs, uh, for those that are familiar with, uh, because of so much innovation that was taking place in this building, literally folks were just popping up ideas and, and moving on them and raising capital like at every turn, which is wild. And that's the closer resemble uh, those two entities and a little bit of WeWork is the co-working aspect. But for, for me, how would I would understand this? So my view on what had happened was that we had re Mike had re-architected um, commercial real estate. Like how do you, how do you use the space to optimize, um, collisions, right? And collisions in a sense of human connection and those, that combustion of like creativity, other, and I call it growth. I grew personally or I grew professionally, right? Because I found, uh, you know, a developer that I needed or a designer, or I found my co-founder, or I was able to, uh, laugh all night at this, social mixer. So I grew a little bit on my personal side, all that, uh, was taking place probably because of the architecture in which the space was designed. So think Best Buy where you walk in and you see like Samsung has some space. You see Google has some space sectioned off on the floor, um, so on and so forth. And at Empire Dow, you'd walk in and you'd have these clusters of like, for example, Solana had a whole floor sectioned off. You had different brands within the Web3 ecosystem. You had capital. So you had venture capitalists taking sections of the building. You had artists take other portions. And because of these components that make up an industry, everyone was able to have uh, commercial success as opposed to a WeWork model, in my opinion, where when you show up to one, it's almost like going on a first date every time. There's no real um, community. There's no real adhesive. And you really need to Kind of onboard yourself and take a chance whether or not this person has um, any anything in common with my work or my personal needs. And at Empire Dow, because that was present, everyone in there had had purpose. They were either interested in the innovation, the technologies, they were working in the industry, they were investing in the industry, or they were looking to uh, change jobs and sidestep into the space. So that was kind of some of the common themes there of kind of the the aligned, like-minded individual having a, a, a space dedicated to them. They know what to expect out of this location. Um, that's where uh, we saw something grow that was worth building on, uh, creating more environments like this where folks can feel included and have a safe space that they can go ahead and, and kind of have success for themselves professionally or personally. I think you guys hit a really powerful note there, and that's multiple teams in the same industry. I think what a lot of 
new co-working spaces do is like they try tying people to like a really broad stroke of like oh these people are all i don't know like in a certain age range or like things that don't tie them as closely as an industry like Mm -hmm. crypto has a very tight community and i think culminating multiple teams all in one space just leads to the bonds you form with these people very powerful and I can say that, like, as someone working in the Solana eco, like in the Solana New York City office, just being present every day alongside all these other founders that are just as driven as you, all in the same ecosystem, has led me like really loving the community and my time there. So, I think what you guys are building at Empire now is pretty amazing. And like hearing you tell me the full story of your vision for it, and like how it panned out in the past, I think makes a lot of sense now and has me really excited about what you guys are doing. Um, where are you guys launching next? Um, like, you know, what cities are you trying to tackle? How can I, as a participant in the crypto space, get involved? Yeah, great question. So the first thing we learned, uh, is that you need to reduce your single point of failures, right? So, um, because Empire kind of MVP was, was, um, concentrated in in crypto and web three, it went as FTX went, right? Like literally the energy and momentum of the entire uh, ecosystem, the the air was taken out of the room and literally uh, just wasn't there for it, but to hear the accounts, uh, that's very similar to what happened there. So one of the first few things I needed for my process and kind of taking on this opportunity was like, we need to, we need to make sure that there's more actors walking through this door. Like who is walking through your door? Right. So it is the entrepreneurs, the founder um, in these ecosystems, but it's also the artists and then the gamers. So we're now taking these buildings and we are basically sectioning them off. So say a third for the entrepreneurial ecosystem, a third for the artists and creators, designers, and a third for, for esports, gaming. And we think that there's a lot of synergies across uh, these ecosystems that, you know, the vision, what I see, um, you know, blockchain and crypto doing. Uh, particularly for the creative renaissance, we're like starving artists no more. We think putting these actors together in one building can really lead to some really meaningful experiences there. So another lesson learned um, was we were leasing. The building was leased, uh, massive lease, massive building. And in these interest rate environments, those unit economics just don't work anymore, uh, in my opinion. And I think we're seeing evidence of that uh, with WeWork and kind of the struggles they're having. And even Soho House, they're publicly traded. I think they IPO'd, I think they're a billion or just under uh, market cap. And their earnings report shows that they, they have a lot of debt servicing costs, right? Because they're borrowing to pull off their model. So what we've done is we've, um, you know, took the insights from that and we launched a real estate uh, investment trust or operating as such. Um, And we're going to use that as the foundation to flip the capital structure, right, from a liability to an asset. And that little nuance, A, it helps us achieve the margins we want, but also allows us to create new experiences with the equity. And then, you know, enter uh, the technology, right, blockchain, digital units, fractionalization, all the great work that you guys are doing to enable access. We can now create uh, unique systems. Um, because of the fractionalization, to be able to offer equity uh, to members uh, as an incentive layer. And we think that formula um, can really go head to head with other kind of similar Soho House private club, you know, co-working models there. 
So building one, uh, which was quite the interesting uh, debate, is a jump ball uh, with uh, Jersey City likely being the next location, which is about two train stops from uh, Manhattan. Uh, Soho, where the original uh, building was, is like a close second. And then uh, third, um, uh, Brooklyn uh, of some sort, there's a few areas we're looking at, is kind of our near-term areas, but it's real estate. We don't know what's there, um, so we're flexible. uh, But those are the locations there. And uh, we're pretty excited um, to see Jersey City uh, happen. That's really cool. Like just you guys realizing the like the learnings from the MVP, like what caused it to potentially like fail in the interim, but then basically taking those learnings and now for the next properties, like really diversifying the type of user that's going to be there. Um, super excited for when you guys launch. Um, hopefully at that point, if there's things that are closer to New York City, like we as Homebase can participate and be members of this. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, any final takeaways? Like if someone wanted to learn more about Empire DAO, wanted to get involved, like how would they go ahead and do that? Yeah, no, definitely. We are uh, EmpireDAO.xyz. Uh, subscribe there. And we're just about ready to uh, kind of commercialize and go to market with a wait list for these because we are, um, another lesson learned is we're right-sizing kind of what, uh, square footage we should take on at this stage. So we're going from 34,000 square feet to about 10 to 15,000 square feet. We think that's the right size. So the trade-off there is that there's um, about 70 to 100 desks available or, or private offices. And, and um, really the what you have access to is, is, is pretty limited, right? So we want to actually uh, start small and grow the demand uh, backlog there. So I would encourage everyone to uh, a, if you're in the Jersey City area, New York Metro, uh, join the wait list so you can have access uh, to these passes when they're available. And we're also going to allow you to uh, indicate where you're located and where you'd like to see um, an actual Empire Dial location because that's key to our growth strategy. And we're structuring this in a way where we can allow other locations to self-organize, right? Using our tooling, they can bootstrap themselves. They have the community, they have the members, they have the location. Uh, We'll be able to help them acquire the property, install the systems, and allow the kind of incentive model to operate um, within their location. So definitely, if Jersey City, New York Metro isn't in your area, let us know where. And uh, we're going to be data-driven there to see where the next few locations are. That's awesome. No, very excited to see you guys continuously grow, get the next location on board, and then see what markets you expand to next. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, George. It was awesome hearing more about your your story, your journey, and what you're building at Empire Dow. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the fourth episode of Groundbreakers. We drop episodes every Tuesday morning, and we'll continue to have awesome guests like George on on the show. Thank you so much.